We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Halpin. Hey everybody, it's John Halpin. Welcome to the Tuesday, July 25th edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Football and from Yahoo Fantasy Football, Fantasy Sports. My guest today is Scott Pianowski. Scott, um, we joked before we started recording that we've never actually spoken before, other than on Twitter. Um, but one of the things I, I know from uh, following you there is that you're, you're just generally out on injury risk, guys. You know, the guy coming back from the ACL or the, you know, the, the not habitual injury guy, because that gets overblown sometimes with people. But you know what I mean. And one guy I want to mention is Andrew Luck. Um, mm-hmm. He's still not throwing, right? As far as, as I know. know. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're being really careful with him. Is he a no-go for you? Is he just, a, you know, kind of not cross him off your board, but you kind of know you won't get him where you're going to have to draft him? Uh, first of all, good to talk to you. Uh, you know, Thank long, you. long time, I'm long bad time at pleasantries. reader and admirer. Uh, you know, first time uh, podcast uh, discussion we're going to have, and uh, I'm Thank looking you. forward to it. And uh, I think it's great that you've uh, hooked up with Rotowire. Just you know, two people, you and Rotowire, have a ton of respect for. So, to everybody who thinks I'm I'm some crotchety negative guy, take that. You know, I love these guys. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Andrew Luck, man, yeah, I'm not. My feeling is you're going to. 
encounter a lot of attrition and a lot of injuries and a lot of problems with your fantasy roster. So I do not look to go out of my way to draft those types of players unless I feel I'm given a coupon, a discount, as you know, some sort of break for what the player is going through. And in the case of Luck, and, and I'm, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, the quarterback board is just, you can just do well at every price point. You know, whether you want to get a vanity quarterback, you want to get a second tier guy, there's some young quarterbacks who are on the way up, it looks like. There's all these uh, veteran quarterbacks you can make cases for. I mean, somebody could say to me, hey, why do you have so and so at 18 or 19 or 20? And, and a lot of it, time, it's just a matter of, well, the board is so deep that somebody has to be down there. And, you know, sometimes the actual uh, binary rank doesn't necessarily tell the full story. But in the case of Locke, I'm not a doctor. And I, I know he's played through injuries before. He only had that one season that was kind of ruined by injury. But I feel like there's enough here that I want. Uh, Luck was somebody I probably wasn't going to be targeting anyway, unless he slipped a round or two. A healthy Luck I, I wanted at a discount, or else I'd just load up on the running backs and the receivers maybe maybe take a good tight end. I mean, when Andrew Luck is going in some of the drafts I've done already, that's when you can get a Jordan Reed or a Greg Olson, or you can still get a really good receiver like a Michael Crabtree or something. And again, your mileage will vary on this type of stuff. But I feel like you can do so well at every other position when Luck goes, and now you have injury risk to go with it as well. And I, I think John might be the deepest quarterback board in the fantasy era. I can't remember a time when you, you're going 20 to 23, 24 deep and you feel good about just about everybody. And then maybe the last seven or eight guys, you know, you get through some guys who aren't sure if they'll be starting or how good they'll be, but with the depth where it's at and with the need to fill other positions, I, I just don't see the case for a lot. I, again, you know, I, I never say never, you know, if I got into a draft and everybody felt like that, what that way, then maybe there'd be a round where I'd pull the trigger, but I'd be very surprised if I had him on any of my August teams. Yeah. I, I think I'm with you. It's, it's a little, it's going to be a little too rich. And, and I want to take a, a little exception from the, you know, the crotchety guy. I'm with you on that stuff. I tend to be, you know, with the, basically guys on the extremes, let's say age wise. And, you know, everybody, as my friend Ryan Fowler Fox used to say, he, he likes to call it the shiny new toy syndrome too. You know, it's one of those, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, people getting so over exuberant and I feel like, well, not that I know everything and there are plenty of smart people, but I've been doing this for 30 years and, you know, playing for 30 years. I'm like, sure. I've seen this before, <laughs> you know, I've, I've seen Joe Mixon before. I've seen Christian McCaffrey before not to dismiss those guys necessarily. Cause I think they're going to be really good, but, but sometimes we get a little too excited about some players and, you know, you think you think some of the injury guys like, oh, no, he'll be fine. OK, let, let me so. piggyback on that a little bit. Uh, a guy and this is just cherry picking one example I happen to be right on last year. I was really down Jamal Charles and I wanted injury. Optimism is a big thing for me. I, I try to get people away from injury optimism. The idea that a player could be hurt and they say, OK, four to six weeks. What does four to six weeks mean? I think a lot of people it. It's our, our human nature. You know, Mike Salfino, our, our mutual friend, said a lot of people just want to feel good about their fantasy team. They don't necessarily want to know the, the hard facts or the hard data. They just want to feel like they made good picks. They want to feel good about the guys they have. And they, and if you say something against one of their players, you know, sometimes they take it personally. To me, when a player – and I'm not a doctor and you know, I, I defer to the people who know so much more about the medical stuff than I do. All I really have is a collection of experience from being a player and a little bit of common sense. But I do not have any kind of a medical background, so I want to say that up front. But when somebody is out, say, four to six weeks, 
I think it's human nature to want to say like, oh, well, he'll be back in four weeks. Maybe we'll be back yeah. in three weeks. And then they talk to the players who, who have all been Superman, you know, their whole lives. They, they have exceeded, you know, expectations. They've, they've met challenges. They've, they've been, they're the best player in their high school. They were highly recruited. Most of these guys, they were stars in college and all that. So they all either think it's natural for them to think that they're going to come back quickly because their bodies have, have been just so superior and in the highest percentile their whole lives. Or in some cases, you know, maybe they hear their biological clock ticking and they don't want somebody to take their job. So they, they just want to you know, whistle a happy tune and, and, and say that they'll be back quickly. You know, teams have no incentive to give us the truth. <laughs> and, and then you get into that gap where when the player eventually comes back, can we trust him that week? How much is he going to play? Is he going to start? Is he, is he going to be in all packages? Is he going to play a full complement of snaps? In a lot of cases, I mean, with your best players, you might just have to play them, or you may be in a crunch at a position you have to use the player. But it turns out in a lot of cases, when that player comes back, you can't use him for a week or two because you need some sort of validation that he's okay to use, that right. he's trustable, that he's ready, that the team is going to put him back into a role that makes sense as a fantasy starter. So I feel like you have a hidden week in there sometimes. And then the, the bottom line, this is something everybody knows. I don't think they always think about it though. It, it's in the back of your mind. In most fantasy leagues, you have 13 weeks to make the playoffs. It's not, it, I know the season is four months, then the playoffs, it's five months if you count that. But we only have a 12 or 13 game sample in most leagues to make the playoffs. I, I don't want to flush. I, I'm not saying that luck is going to miss games necessarily, but when it comes to all this injury optimism and somebody will get hurt in August and they'll say might miss a couple of games. I think it's important to be like three and one or you know four and two you know, early in the season, play from a position of leverage. Yep. We don't have that long to get into the playoffs. So you're going to have guys get hurt anyway. I, I'm not saying I'll never take a player who's variable, who has an injury risk. Cause I, I see there's an upside there, but I want to be, I want to be given a discount for that. And in the case of lock, there's no discount. Yep. You're, pay, you, you're paying retail prices for them right now. Um, where you draft him. Okay. Uh, before we move on to, uh, as, as we've done over the past uh, week plus, we're going to talk about a lot of different players and a lot of different positions. We'll sort of do more positional focused uh, episodes of this later on. But we need to thank Yahoo Fantasy Football for sponsoring the Rotowire Fantasy Football podcast. You can sign up now for Yahoo Fantasy Football, rotowire.com slash Yahoo. Also on Twitter, Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski. He's a great follow. I'm at jhalpin37. You can also catch us at Rotowire or at Rotowire NFL, and you can check us out on Facebook. All right, so more quarterbacks, Scott. You have Jameis. I think coming into during the offseason, people were looking at Jameis as a, you know, maybe this is the breakout. And hey, they signed Deshaun Jackson, and hey, they drafted OJ Howard. And wow, look at all these weapons, and he's getting better anyway. You've got him at QB6, which is, I think, higher than average. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Jameis too. I mean, I, I, most people do to, var- to varying degrees. The numbers don't suggest much improvement from year one to year two. It, and, and last year, the one, the one thing that, that some people have pointed out, and, and the numbers bear it out, late in the season, they start to run a little more. Um, what, what's selling you on Jameis? Is it the eye test, which I, I, he passes for me? The weapons, what, is there one specific thing or a little of everything? You know, it's interesting. I have uh, currently I have Winston at number six, a quarterback, and I have Mariota at seven. 
it's just so funny how it just seems like they're destined to, they were drafted together one, two, and I feel like they're just going to be linked their entire careers and hopefully they'll have long, healthy careers. I mean, you know, obviously Mariota's had some injuries, but he's been really exciting player when he's been healthy. And I think I would have Mariota higher, except that it seems like Tennessee has such a great backfield and maybe two really good quality backs that may cannibalize a lot of the offense where I'm not as sold I'm not a Doug Martin guy at all. I don't think he'll be on any of my teams. I, I see the case for Jaquiz Rogers. He's kind of a, a favorite player of mine in the sense that he may be very effective early in the season. And my feeling is always, look, again, get off to that quick start. If you see somebody useful early in the year, I, I don't care if he's not going to be good in October or November. Let's just try to you know, get out ahead of things. And we'll, you know, there'll be more interesting players to pick up later in the year that you're not even thinking about right now. In the case of Winston, and I, I know this sounds going to sound a little bit like a cop-out, He's number six on my board just because you have to list somebody at six behind five ahead of seven. I see so much depth here. I don't think I'll be drafting him a lot. I have him in a few MFL tens, which is a little bit of a, of a different experience. I, I think most of our listeners probably know what MFL tens are, but they're no mate. The leagues I'm getting in are you know, just for my practice. And, you know, it's it, they're not my main leagues, but they're the things I've been doing before you know, the August draft season kicks in. There are leagues where you will need two or three quarterbacks where it's not like a, a standard quote unquote standard league where you might just draft one. I would tell most people, if you're say in a 12 team league, you only need one quarterback. I don't think there's any sense of urgency that you need to take Mariota or you need to take Winston or you need to take Cam Newton or any of these guys, because you can build such a strong case for the, the quarterbacks, maybe a half tier below them or a tier below them. And I know I'm not I'm not saying anything. I'm not splitting an atom here. Just the position is so deep. Right. As far as Winston, why do I like it? Why is he at six? I mean, I've said all these disclaimers. You're three. Um, you're right. He, he did he look better last year? Probably not. He lost those those pretty rushing touchdowns from the previous year, right. which I thought boosted his fancy value. I thought his numbers weren't really as good as they looked that first year because he got all those rushing touchdowns. But Having Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun Jackson's such a unique player in that I, I guess there are a few players like him, but not many. Where just him being on the field, even if he's not even catching passes or drawing targets, the fact that you're putting him on the field, you immediately dictate coverage and you change the way the team has to has to guard you. And you know, Mike Evans obviously a legitimate first round talent. I don't know how good OJ Howard will be right away, but I mean, it certainly helps to have him. And it seems like he's a really dynamic blocker as well. And Brate's pretty and good too. I'm sorry. Brate's pretty good too. Yeah, I, you know, I really like Brate for fantasy, and one reason, two, really, two reasons why. One, I mean, the, the guy caught a, a bushel of touchdowns last year. I think he had eight touchdowns, but he's not a great blocker, and that's a fantasy feature. That's not a bug. Okay, right. when your tight end isn't a good blocker, but he's a good pass receiver, we like that for fantasy. Yeah, that's one thing I always want to try to pay attention to is how many times are these guys running routes, and, and how many times are they in the stance? How many times? Are, I think Cameron Brait is just going to be used almost like a receiver for them more than a tight end at all. And the addition of Howard, I don't think that they did that to replace Brait at all. I think there's more like okay, Brait's our move tight end. Brait's our you know our big jumbo third receiver. Let's get in line, you know, uh, hand in the ground, you know, body pusher, you know, somebody who can, who can make collisions and block and, and do a lot of different things like Howard can. I would rather have Brait than Howard in, in a typical fantasy league, even though I think Brait's going a little bit later. I think Brait's actually really good value late. But as far as Winston, I think I, I guess I would have to point to the addition of Jackson um, because I, he, he will change the way teams have to defend them. I don't think the running backs are great. 
and I think this is a division where everybody can score and not everybody really can play defense. I think there's going to be a lot of pinball, <laughs> a lot of 30, 27 type of games. And, and so um, ultimately Winston, although I gave him kind of, I know I'm, it sounds like I'm playing both sides of this here. Cause I don't know that I'll have a lot of Winston, but uh, I do like the pieces around him. I don't think the defense is going to be anything special. And I think it's the division. And I know the division is just six games, but I think Tampa Bay is going to be a team that plays in a lot of high scoring games this year. Yep. I think you're probably right. Um, all right. The one guy you're, you, we're going from a guy you're high on to a guy you're not, let's say not as high as other people. Um, ranking Ben Roethlisberger at QB 12 is not necessarily burying him, but it's, it's a little on the low side. And uh, I have him down in the same range. Are, are you, I mean, I tend to get off older guys a year too early rather than a year too late. That yeah. you old, know, you know, it was that Branch Ricky, whoever it was. But I go, you know what? If I miss, that's fine. Um, is it age with Roethlisberger? Is it the? I mean, the injury history has to factor in here too, right? I, I definitely love the the year too early versus a year too late. And I think there's a running back we're going to talk about who fits into that category as well. But Roethlisberger is a strange player because we know what his upside is and we know how great he can be. And, and obviously throwing the Antonio Brown is, I still think far and away the best receiver in football. Somebody I would even consider maybe taking first overall in a PPR format, depending on how it was scored. That's how dynamic Brown is. And, and you know, Bell's terrific and, and Martavis Bryant, maybe he's a factor. I mean, they have so many toys here, but Roethlisberger doesn't always play a full season. And then he's got this home road split. And I'm curious for your take on this. I don't have a great theory on, on why Ben Roethlisberger hasn't played well on the road for, for several years now, but it's happened long enough that yeah. I'm comfortable incorporating it without knowing the answer. I don't know why it's happening, and maybe we don't have a good answer. I don't know if it's a sleep apnea problem. I don't, I don't know if he's having too much fun on the road. I don't know if there's something comforting about the colors and Heinz feel. I, I don't know what it is, but it's happened long enough that I, I'm – totally comfortable viewing him. And, and you know, a lot of this is DFS related or in different formats. And again, we talked about the depth of the position. I, you know, Roethlisberger, he's an interesting upside guy. He's somebody who, if, if I was in a draft waited on quarterback, if he was at some point, the best option to take, but I, maybe I could jump in and get another interesting guy like a Tyrod Taylor or Matthew Stafford or something, or even yeah. Carson Palmer. I might be comfortable doing that. Again, it's, it's very format dependent. There are going to be some leagues where you would never take a second quarterback. There'll be some leagues where you can constantly go to the waiver wire for one. And there's other leagues where you know people take backup quarterbacks for whatever reason. And maybe it's a super flex league. Maybe it's a league with so many bench spaces. People just... You know, people know the quarterbacks. They just think, okay, heck, I'm not going to let somebody else have Eli Manning for nothing. So I'm just <laughs> going to pick him, even if I don't need him. But I, you know, Roethlisberger is just a guy. I, I don't really know what to do with him. I know the. I don't know. Do we know how much Bryant's going to play? Do we know if this road thing's going to get figured out? I mean, right now, I don't think Bell is going to hold out. But I mean, that that's kind of you know another thing just in the mix. There's um, upheaval at tight end. I mean, they they wanted Ladarius Green to be their guy. It looks like that's off the board now. So, you know, for, for all the name brands in Pittsburgh and you see what the upside could be, I feel like there's enough questions that I have to push Roethlisberger outside of my top 10. Yeah, and, and I'm with you on the home, on the home road split. I, I don't know the why, but I'm, I'm comfortable enough with what's happened over, you know, enough years that I'm like, okay, I mean, I guess that's fine. I mean, you know, it, it, in a, for, for instance, you talk about DFS. I, I couldn't possibly, I, if I looked at him and I saw a, a nice matchup, a road matchup uh, in a DFS f situation, I, I couldn't, I just look at him, I go, nah, I'm not starting. Right. 
No way. And, and I'm sure somebody's going to say the first time that happens, somebody's going to say, "Well, play him," because don't you know, the idea that right. he's going to be underweight and everything, and that if he you know he goes off on the road, you know, at wherever it is, that maybe you'll, you'll be uh, hitting on somebody that is low in own ownership. Obviously, that's a big part of DFS too. But um, I, I again, you know, sometimes you don't need to prove something. Like, I, for example, you look at take the hot hand in basketball, the hot hand in any sport, right? For years, the smartest guys in the room were saying, no, we've run all the data. It, it's not true. And, and for all these different reasons. And, and now we've seen some people, I, I think there was a study done, I want to say from Stanford a few years ago, that's actually argued that the, the, the hot hand actually has some value and some predictive measure to it. And, and, and now it's a matter of how do you define things. You know, sometimes because we can't prove something w- with data or with a model or with our analysis, people accept that as disproving it. And I, I think we have to see that there's a disconnect there. It's just because you, just because in this case, just because we can't emphatically prove what's going on with Roethlisberger, I just think there's enough. To me, there's enough kind of circumstantial, intuitive proof that I, I, again, I I'll, I'll be willing to adjust this on the fly if if I seems like there's an adjustment been made or it doesn't seem to work anymore for whatever reason. I mean, it's not like I'm married to this till the end of time, but I've seen enough of it that I'm comfortable that that's going to be my mo for the start of the season. Right. Okay, so you mentioned guys you could pair him with, and that leads me to, okay, so if, if you're going to draft a, a second quarterback, whether it's, it's in a league that calls for you to start two or one that whatever the roster construction would cause you to draft a backup, which, you know, I wouldn't always advise, but I guess it would depend on your league structure. Sure. Um, you mentioned two names, Tyrod and Palmer. Are there anybody else in that mix? And, and um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those two guys. And there's this so many guys here. I, I, I do want to say one thing up front. Um, one thing I'll probably do at some point, but I haven't done it yet. And I actually, I try to, I try to go lightly on this, is I haven't looked at Roethlisberger's schedule and try to see what quarterback matches up with him. And in part, because there's so much fluidity with yeah. how strong defenses are and schedules are. I, I'm, I'm not somebody who says, oh, I'm going to take this guy because his week 15 matchup is great <laughs> or his week 16 matchup is great. I mean, even strength the schedule to begin with, I think it's something that I consider on the extremes. You know, if you have a really, really good matchup or a really, really horrible matchup, I will apply that and, and maybe make a decision. It's a good tiebreaker. But it's not, I never say, well, this quarterback has the number 10 matchup this week. This quarterback is the number 13 matchup. And again, for whatever that means, right? How much data are we talking about? You know, or people will say, oh, uh, you know, Roethlisberger has a really bad record against the NFC South or something. It's like, well, he plays these guys every four years. I, you know, I, I never thought that really meant a lot. But so I want to say up front that I, I haven't tried to match Roethlisberger with the schedule. And, and I, I'm not even sure I will do that. But I look at some of the guys who intrigue me. Uh, Andy Dalton. Just we saw it a few years ago where everybody got hurt and everything went wrong for Dalton, and then he came back and he was an MVP candidate for three months. I think his upside is top five quarterback, and, and look what they did in the draft. They drafted Mixon, they drafted Ross. If they can just keep AJ Green and Tyler Eifert on the field, and, and I know those aren't automatic things, just a lot to like about Andy Dalton. I think he's in a great position here. Philip Rivers has so many toys. Uh, I wish that team was staying in San Diego. I don't know how much of a distraction it is to go to a new city. They're playing in a soccer stadium. Uh, I, for all I know, maybe that's going to be a huge advantage, you know, playing in a really small venue. But um, Rivers, one of those guys who just seems to be productive year in, year out. And I really like the the pieces he's working with. 
Tyrod Taylor is a to me whenever you can draft a player where his floor is is kind of guaranteed and you're just getting the upside. I mean, he was the top ten quarterback last year, and you're getting him. You know, your fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth quarterback off the board. I think that's such a tremendous value. We know how well he runs, and, and just the threat of the running game in general with McCoy. Uh, the, that adds to Tyrod's value. I don't know what to expect from Sammy Watkins, and that could be the difference between Taylor being maybe uh, and, uh, just a terrific player, a, a star player, versus just another good quarterback. Although last year he didn't really have Watkins, and he right. still got to the top 10, so maybe that's not a big deal. With Carson Palmer, you know, just like I talked about Watkins in, in Buffalo, it's not quite to the same maybe uh, severity, but if John Brown were to be healthy in Arizona, man, that could be a really fun offense. We know David Johnson it's just uncoverable as a receiver. He's going to get a lot of it on the ground, but he, that guy could easily catch 800, 900, a thousand yards. He's talked about that as a goal for whatever that, that may mean to you. But if they can get Brown, you know, you know, again, we talked about Deshaun Jackson earlier. You know, Brown's not quite the same type of guy, but he does you know, run a lot of those deep routes. Yep. That off, that was a team, what, they won, I think, 13 games, 12 or 13 games just two years ago. They were seen as one of the best teams in football entering last year a lot of things went right i know palmer's near the end of his career but that could be a really fun offense and you're getting him at, at a price that's almost free uh the, just some of the guys and, and you know i know a lot of people are in on dalton this year a lot of people in on rivers this year uh you know taylor certainly has um people on his side as well but it's man, it's it's almost overwhelming sometimes. You talk about the paradox of choice that sometimes we have too many choices as humans <laughs> that it can be intimidating. You don't know what to do because there's too many options. I mean, it's fun too, but I I'm just looking at my quarterback board, man. There's so many guys here I can say good things about. Yeah, and, and I it's funny one guy you mentioned uh, going uh, wide receiver. I think between now and a month from now, you're going to get John Brown a lot cheaper now. Mm-hmm. Because right sure. now, all of a sudden the buzz is, hey, John Brown's healthy. And hey, look, I, I feel like the people who do what we do, we're going to see a lot of tweeting and writing and commentary about John Brown over the next month as, as a guy based on what he did a couple of years ago when he was really good. And, and I get a lot of I get a lot of pushback on this, but it's one reason why I actually enjoy drafting early. Um, one thing I want you to read, um, um, not, not you, I know you've already looked at it, but the people are listening. We did a review for the Mark Stopa League uh, expert auction, uh, 14 teams at the Superflex League, and we draft uh, the week of the All-Star break where we all go down to Vegas and we do this auction. And I like drafting early, and, and people always say, well, you know, what if guys get hurt? And you know, We actually have some provisions in that league that if your players get hurt in the summer and you have to cut them, you get some fab relief. It, it's certainly not willing to offset if you lost, like, say, Jordy Nelson two years ago. That's, that's terrible. It really leaves a mark on your team, but I think what you gain in the, and I'm not saying draft in March or something like that. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not quite that, that crazy about it, but I think what you gain in the early part of the season where the ADPs aren't really crystallized yet. And you may, if you like a player and the buzz hasn't really, granted, these things are all fluid and you know, you can always get values at any different part of the season. But the way I've always viewed it is this, maybe not every good fantasy player wants to draft early versus late, but I feel like the players who are maybe, and, and nothing wrong with this, but the most recreational players who don't maybe you know, want to do a lot of research and they want position battles settled or they, they want kind of the smoke to be cleared before they draft, I feel like the weaker owners or the more recreational owners, and again, I don't mean as a pejorative, but I feel like they always want to draft late because yep. they want the dots connected. And to me, if I, I think that if you're a good fantasy player, one of your strengths will be able to see 
you know, ahead. You know, like you, you think about the great hockey players like Wayne Gretzky or Sidney Crosby. These guys are seeing plays develop ahead of time. And I think that is kind of the analogy for a really good fantasy player is that you're seeing maybe a situation play out or, or a, a role, you know, expanding or, you know, a running back that maybe, maybe you saw last year that Jordan Howard was going to be eventually Chicago's best running back. And, you know, the last people to figure it out was the bears, that type of thing. <laughs> I think there's something to be said for drafting earlier because things, I, I don't know. I think you're right about Brown, by the way. I think, I think he's started to gather steam. I think it's, it's just only going to go up. And I think he's ADP. Could easily, and also we want to find out about that sickle cell situation, how much right. of it is under control, and you know, let's hope that he can get that behind him or at least to a manageable point. But I think he could easily, I agree with what you said, he could easily be somebody whose ADP rises by several rounds by the time August uh, rolls around. Absolutely. All right, um, let's go to running backs. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think you alluded to this one er- earlier. Uh, Marshawn Lynch. Uh, uh, he, I'm, I'm at the risk now. Of I feel like I'm talking about Marshawn Lynch too much because I feel like I bring it up with everybody, but it's one of those things where I look and I just shake my head. You know, with an ADP in the middle of the second round, I, I, I feel like in addition to, he's, you know, the, the easy explanation for where I am is he's 31 and he missed a full year. But last year, if, if we turn back the clock to last year, and we looked at Marshawn Lynch's 2015, which was, had some injuries and some performance that was not mm-hmm. that great. I know Seattle's line struggled. I think we might have drafted Marshawn Lynch in the middle of the second round last year based on that performance. And then we jump ahead a year where he didn't play, and we're still drafting him there. And maybe I'm supposing where we would have drafted him last year. Maybe people would have been higher on him. But after both of those years, I'm looking at him like, okay, so he hasn't been productive since 2014, and you want me to draft him – basically is my first running back in the middle of the second round. I I can't fathom doing this. Can you? I agree with everything you said. I I thought when he came back and it was solidified, I thought, okay, he'll go in the fourth or fifth round. I know Oakland's line is good. and They're coming off a playoff appearance. Although that division is, I could see it going in any number of ways. I I, I don't think I'd pick Oakland to win it, but. Fun division. Really fun. Yeah. Yeah, really fun division. Uh, and you know, the Lynch, too. The thing with Lynch, I think part of the story with him is people have an emotional connection with him. I mean, he was a fun player, and he, and he took on he took on every defender he could. I mean, if there was an extra yard to be gained, but he had to try to run over somebody and, and take more contact and, and maybe you know punish himself in some way, he'd do it. And yeah, he did some funny things at press conferences. He had some fun. He could laugh about himself. He, he seems like a really good guy off the field. Uh, you know, very conscious about community and, and just the type of person that you'd want to root for. I, I think that's playing into it. You know, played on a public team with Seattle. He goes to a Raiders team that obviously has a huge following. I mean, man, uh, RIP my mentions when I, I said I didn't think Derek Carr was an MVP candidate. I mean, I just got <laughs> tackled by the black hole. And, and you know what? That's awesome. I love that that Raider fans are. One passionate about their team in a way that maybe you know some other fan bases aren't, and also they finally have a relevant team after so many years of that team has it's just been terrible. That is exciting to see them be good again. But yeah, Lynch, you really the, the big thing you nailed for me. Two things we talked one about you know I'd rather be a year early than a year late, and, and you know if it turns out I'm I'm early on that, so be it. I can live with that. The price has not adjusted. And the last time we saw him on a football field, he was not in any way a difference maker. And, and you're right, Seattle's offensive line played some of it. 
but there's just so many flags here. And also, they have two guys in Washington, Richard, who played really well last year. I, I know it was yeah. in a limited sample, and sometimes you have to be careful with you know a backup runner, what they do. Are they running against tired defenses? Are they you know, getting a big draw play on third and nine? I mean, there's misleading stuff in there sometimes. But I think both of these guys can play. I have a lot of Washington. I have a fair amount of Richard, too. And, and I know some to some degree those picks are just fading Marshawn Lynch picks. But I, I can tell you this. I guess, and, and you know, there are players I, I have you know opinions on. I talked about Winston on both sides of it. You know, so there's some mixed feelings there. It's really simple for me and Marshawn Lynch. I have not considered him once this season. I think to take him in the second round is is just crazy. Uh, I, I'll I'll die on that wall. If, if he ends up having a monster year, then I will tip my cap to the people who took him and I'll say, you you know, good for you. You you liked them. You you went on that limb. You got them, and you know you you probably you. Know, Rode into the playoffs on that, but I am not going to have him anywhere. I think his his price doesn't make any sense. I think there's good backs behind him. I think he's an age we have to worry about. Missing a year at this stage of his career is a very significant thing. And the last time we saw him on a football field, he was not a very good player. All right. So if you were gonna, if you're late in a draft and you're looking, you're going. If I'm fading Marshawn Lynch, then another Raider running back is going to benefit. Could you choose one, or is it too muddled with the two guys that are there? We're gonna we're gonna ignore Elijah Hood for now, but but between Richard and Washington, could you do you pick one? I think I lean Washington. I lean Washington too. This is where the MFLs kind of skew things a little bit because I've just been thinking I just want a collection of both of them, and then one of them pops, or, or maybe even they if they both pop, and we we see the NFL is different now. It used to be that you know, backfields just couldn't withstand multiple guys. It, the team just wouldn't spread spread the work around enough, but. I, I think Washington has uh, maybe can run more of the playbook. I, I, he seemed like he was the person who got more into more packages and yep. in, into more f- versatility last year. So I, I, I can't say that I'm extremely close to the Oakland situation more than anybody else is. And that's something that I'm, I'm going to want to dive into and get a sense and, you know, read some of the two or three beat writers who follow them super, super close and get a sense of what they think. But uh, right now, Washington is the preference, but I, I have a fair amount of both of those guys. All right. And by the way, everybody, um, from Monday, the beat writer from the San Jose Mercury news suggests that the Raiders could hold Lynch under 200 carries. Mm. Just saying to add. To and remember, it's, you know, Lynch was never really a great receiver and, and he was kind of getting phased out of that role at the end of his Seattle career too. So, I mean, maybe he's not the third down back. Maybe when they fall behind, he's not the hurry up guy, you know, again, you know, at the age that he's at, at the time, and you know, age is a number you know, it, with him and also with Lynch, it might be the attrition. And just, again, this is somebody who wanted to take on as much contact as possible Man, I mean, you really nailed it when you said, let's be a year early on this. I, I am totally comfortable. I am not at all afraid. If Lynch goes off, I can live with it. It's yep. not going to bother me at all. Okay. I'm looking down the rankings a little further. Uh, on the Yahoo's rankings uh, from, from everybody, Scott and all his colleagues, uh, are up in the Yahoo Fantasy Football section. And, and I'm looking at all your running back rankings next to each other. And you are all across the board a little higher on Mike Gillisley than, than most people. I get it. I, I think, I mean, the, the easy and maybe lazy explanation is, well, he just takes the blunt role and blunt scored 9 billion touchdowns last year. Right. Well, Gillisley, I mean, great offense, great situation. He's also a guy who 
even though in a limited role, has averaged the last two seasons, what is it, 5.7 a carry? Um, but I look at that team and I say, well, he has not, oh, Belichick has not always trusted a, and, and he's not, he didn't just trust Blunt either. It's not like Blunt got 300 carries last year. Um, but there's other guys there. I mean, Belichick has been a little flaky with running backs, and maybe it's because when, maybe it's when he had people he didn't like enough, as much as, let's say, he liked Blunt or way back Corey Dillon or whatever. Um, I like the other three guys that are there. I like White and Deion Lewis as long as he's healthy, and I kind of like Burkhead, and I kind of like what I heard about Burkhead and OTAs. Yeah. You know, oh, wow, he was one of the best players on the field, and he can run and he can catch and he can block, which is, you know, to your point, of, it's sort of the reverse on what you said about the tight ends. The running backs who can block is a good thing because they stay on the field. Right. Um, I, can you talk me into – I like Gillisley enough. I think I have him 23 or 24, but you, you all have him sort of in the 16, 17, 18 range. Am I underselling him a little bit? I mean, you did a great breakdown. I agree with with almost everything you said. I think the only thing you and I might disagree with here is I you might like Deion Lewis more than I do. I think New England's approach in the offseason, adding Burkett and Gillisley, speaks to they're not really sure what to expect from Lewis. In fact, I have this is this is a hunch based thing. I don't have any intel on this, but. I would not be surprised if if Lewis didn't make the team just because they they have so many options here. And you're right, we can't immediately just apply Gillisley into the blunt role. I mean, he's 31, I think 31 pounds lighter. Um, and, and Blunt, remember too, one of the great things Blunt did that kept him on the field is that he never fumbled or almost never right. fumbled. I mean, we we know Belichick, right? I mean, Stephen Ridley put the ball on the ground once or twice, and see ya. You know, I'm not sure he could even ride in the bus or you know, attend <laughs> practice or eat in the pregame meal anymore. I mean, it's just no coach likes fumbling, but Belichick, you know, treats it like um, you know you have leprosy all of a sudden. I and I loved. I thought when Burkett signed there, he was going to be one of my favorite sleepers, but. You see James White, if you, you know, guy had 14 catches in the Super Bowl. I think easily could have been the MVP. Brady wasn't a bad choice, but White could have been. I, I think I would have voted for White, although it's you know kind of a coin flip. But he had a really good season as well. I mean, that's just a, the capper uh, to play that well on the biggest stage. But he was really effective. I, I just see guys do different things here. In the case with Gillisley, he didn't catch the ball a lot in Buffalo, and I actually think that might work to his advantage meaning that when they're going to use him, it's going to be running inside. It's going to be maybe running inside the 20, inside the 10, around the goal line. It just seems like if they were to devote one guy to the clock-killing role and to the touchdown role, and again, you know, it, it's, it's convenient. It's lazy to say, okay, he's blunt. But if I had to guess who, who was more, most likely to be blunt, I would guess Gillisley. Absolutely. And then if I were to get you to say to me, you know, remember how much – that I think anybody who understands fantasy understands those points. I don't want to make it sound like I'm you know, saying something really profound, but what are we looking for? We're looking for when we, we look at a guy like Gillisley, who is a running back who probably needs to make his fantasy chops running the ball. You know, he's not going to catch a lot of passes. He's going to need a team. that's going to win a lot of games. It's going to score a lot of points. It's going to have a lot of third quarter and fourth quarter leads and be working on ball control, clock control and that type of thing. And the Patriots, they're so set up that way. I mean, their over-under is the highest, I believe, in football. And they have the division. I know Miami made the playoffs last year, but the division just looks really kind of benign, as it always seems to. And, and they have a schedule outside of division that, that looks very reasonable. I just feel like New England is going to be in scoring position an awful lot of the time. And and it may not be that big of a deal if these guys cannibalize each other. I, and bottom line, 
I think Gillisley, while he can't be guaranteed that goal line role, I think he makes the most sense of any of them. Yes. And my hunch is that Lewis is maybe more on the outside than is commonly believed to be. And then that's just a hunch. I don't, I don't have any intel on that. It's just, I, I feel like in part, I don't know that new England would have gone out and, and given up resources to get Burkhead and give up resources to get Gillisley. If they did, if that wasn't making some kind of a statement on Deion Lewis. Yeah. Something's got to give, you would think at some point, rather than have three, let, let's say three receiving back types, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, see, I want to go to Blunt because so now, now Blunt winds up in Philly, and they I, I can't claim to be an expert on offensive lines. Pro Football Focus ranked them best in the league. That it tells me at least they're pretty good. Um, so Blunt's there. You're you're out on him. Your ranking says says you're just out. Um, how come? Do you think is it the off? I mean, they throw a lot. There and the the Patriots where Blunt was, it's a different kind of offense. You know, there's going to be more touchdown opportunity. I get that, um, but the Eagles throw a ton. They 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 probably throw as much percentage wise as what you know they're in the top half dozen in the league. I think um, why Blunt seems like a guy who won't be on your team, and I want to ask you why. Another guy I'd rather be the year early on than a year late on. Mm-hmm. And while I know this is, I guess, on one level an appeal to authority. I, it just seems like when the Patriots walk away from a veteran, it, it seems like they're right so often. <laughs> and, you know, Blunt, I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, Blunt's career, the, the way it went, I mean, he, he was cut from the Steelers almost in shame and, and the Patriots, you know, brought him in and uh, they had just had, I, I, his name's escaped me. They just had that, that journeyman back who'd had the four touchdown game in, at Indianapolis on the Sunday night. Oh. And then he had uh, missed, he the, had, the um, alarm clock. Yeah, the alarm clock, right? Who, why can't I not name? think of that guy's name? I'll get anyway, it, we'll, it will come to us. But anyway, um, that's kind of how Blunt got it going in New England. Is that the the Steelers didn't have a use for him, and and then they brought Blunt back, and um, and you know he, he stepped in this role. But thirty now can't catch the ball. Uh, they have a lot of other running backs in Philadelphia that are going to be used again. You know, that's it, part of the way the NFL is now that teams have platoons and teams have different skill sets in the backfield that they're going to use. I'm also just not sure what to do with Carson Wentz. I mean, he had the great three or four games to start the regular season, uh, to start his rookie year. And then I think his YP was under six yards in attempt the last three months, which is horrible. And, you know, part of it was a lot of things went wrong in Philadelphia, but I don't know. This is an offense that, that worries me. I, I have some Zach Ertz. I'm, I'm not really taking him proactively. It's more that he's lasted the, to positions where I think he makes sense. But I don't have uh, almost any Wentz. Um, I, I'm not an Alshon Jeffrey guy. Jeffrey guy, I think we're going to talk about him in a little bit. But this is an offense that I'm kind of running from. And with Blunt, I'd rather be a year early than a year late. Uh, I know he's not going to catch the ball. I tend to like the Patriots when they walk away. They made really no attempt. They're just like, okay, thanks, thanks, to Garrett. You know, here's your here's your Super Bowl <laughs> ring. Let's move on. So, uh, I don't, I'm not really considering him. I have him at, at running back 37, which which I think is considerably lower than what the market is. I mean, I would rather have somebody like Derrick Henry, who isn't even a starter, or somebody like Danny Woodhead, who's a very specialized player in Baltimore. I have Theo Riddick higher than Blunt. Even Lynch is for all the stuff I said negatively about Lynch, although I have Lynch ranked where I'll never get him. Right. Uh, Jay Procise I have higher than Blunt, who, you know, again, a, a guy who may have a very specialized role and there's a lot of competition for the ball in Seattle. So uh, if you can beat me with a Garrett Blunt in the, in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, I 
you know, you're welcome to do it because I'm not going to stop you. Okay, last running back question. Um, you have both Falcon backs in the top 20 in your rankings. You have Freeman at fourth and Coleman at 19th. Do you think that's – is that supportable? I mean, I guess it's part, part of when you rank, you, you, we're not necessarily – I mean, some people do project the numbers, but, you know, you're, you're basically getting down there at 19. You're saying, well, you know, I think the, we have to judge risk-reward too, not just a, a – let's say an average projection. But do you think a team uh, can support two top 20 running backs? Right. Yeah, you would think, like, how does this make sense mathematically, right? And it, plus you have to consider all the other elements of this offense that are going to be heard from. I mean, Julio Jones is going to have 1,400 yards, and they have other guys who can catch the ball. With Coleman, I think it's a case of for, Freeman, for, I think, is, is clearly a first-round pick, and I don't think many people disagree with that. Maybe some people may prefer a receiver around the time when Coleman goes, but I have no problem if you take Coleman at 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or something like that. To me, he's a, clearly a first-round player. Uh, Freeman, uh, Freeman, I'm sorry. But yeah. Coleman, the thing with Coleman is I feel like you have to rank him higher than you want to because you know the, the potential is that – if Freeman were to ever go down, Coleman is immediately a top five back yep. in that offense. And when we know how dynamic a receiver he is, and I, I don't think I, I, the coordinator change is, is going to submarine this offense. I mean, I get frustrated. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I always say that regression should be the start of a conversation, not, not the end of it. We can't just see you know, Matt Ryan just had the best year of his career, and I don't think anybody expects him to ever match that again, certainly not this year, even though the offense has a lot of good pieces. They've lost Kyle Shanahan. I don't think we can just say regression on the Falcons. You know, they're <laughs> right. going back to the Super Bowl. You know, Matt Ryan's not going to be MVP again, and then that's not good enough. We, we have to have answers on how good these players are going to be. In the case of Coleman, it, it just becomes, a, with me, I am comfortable taking him he's a weird player because there's going to be games where he doesn't get that many touches it's going to be games that freeman dominates the ball there's going to be games where they they throw 45 times but they don't have a third running back who chews up a ton of uh, a ton of opportunity and it used to be the running back by committee we all ran from we hated that you know you don't don't go on that team they you don't know where the where the ball's going there's two guys now, when we could point to a team, especially a plus offense, because, I mean, look, even if the Falcons give a lot back from last year, and I think everybody expects that. I mean, this is still, what, a top four offense, a top six offense, a top Probably. seven offense. I mean, it's, it's in the top ten somewhere, and I think I'd say top five, top six, and that's kind of where I see the Falcons' offense. So if they're going to focus on two running backs, I can live with Coleman clearly being the number two, he, he's, he's clearly the, uh, the, the road of the Mary to, to use a cultural reference. That's totally dated and probably makes me look stupid, but and I think you have to factor in that upside that if anything were to happen to Freeman and you know, running backs get hurt a lot, uh, Coleman could be somebody who ends up being a league winner. I, and also just in that same vein, I think I'm pulling the trigger more aggressively on Derek Henry than some people might be okay. in part because I saw him start to get, more of uh, here, here's the thing. Okay. With guys who are not starters, the question is, are they playable for fantasy? Could you conceivably use 
could you start the season with Derrick Henry, say, as a flex player or in a deeper league as a running back too, knowing that he's not the primary guy? I think the answer to that is yes. I think they decided that they had a nice balance with with Murray and Henry, and then Henry started becoming that guy punched in the short touchdowns. So I think Henry is going to be somebody startable even when Murray's on the field. And if anything happens to Murray, man, you're going to be so glad you have Derrick Henry. Right. And uh, last five games for Derrick Henry carries – Eight, twelve, nine, four, and fifteen. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's a path. You know, that's like you said, it's not what it used to be, where you need a guy to get twenty. I do want to point out one thing about the the Tevin Coleman ranking. That you talked about the upside there, but I look at the guys you have ranked below him, and there's risk everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Mark Ingram and there's Spencer Ware, and there is C.J. Anderson, and we don't know what's going to happen with them either. So, you know, I, I see what you're saying, but, you know, there's the, there's a good floor and a great upside with Tevin. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm just looking at my running backs in the 20s. I, is there somebody – is there a running back in the 20s, Ingram, Ware, Powell, Anderson, Lacey, Abdullah, Frank Gore, any of these guys? Are you excited? Are you In your early drafts, are you getting a lot of any of these guys? Is there somebody who's kind of stood out to you? The guy who's standing out to me, and, and it might be a, a wish more than a – a yeah. logical play is Abdullah. Okay. I, 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 was, I was trying to grab him last year, and I was, I was heartbroken when he got hurt because that was a guy who I was, I was doing the, the, basically a zero RB in a lot of cases, and I was grabbing him in you know, round seven, and I'm, like, I'm going, that's my guy. I think that's going to work because you know, I don't need him to be a superstar. I just need him to be pretty good, and I felt like, there was a path. There was a pretty reasonable path to 15 touches a game for him. I, you know, it, it, it's interesting you say that. I, I live in Detroit. Not right. that that makes me privy to or suburban Detroit, I guess I should say. But not that I'm, I'm privy to any inside stuff there. But um, I, I do know that they really had a meaty role for him lined up. They wanted him to be. And not so much a bell cow, but a, a featured part of the offense every week. They thought he was going to have a breakout year, and uh, you know, we'll have to see where his health is at and everything. I mean, and obviously, Riddick has a role, but you know, Riddick, you know what Riddick isn't, right? I mean, we know right. he's not going. I mean, he's just not going to carry the ball. They're not going to bother with that. And you know, um, you know, Joy Bell's long gone. You know, Matt Asiat is there. You know, for two yards in a cloud of dust or zero yards in a cloud of dust, right? I guess instead of the cloud of dust, it's whatever that is on field turf that, that springs up when you get tackled. The little black decades. pellets, yeah. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, zero yards in a spring of pellets. But they would really like it if – they would love to see Abdullah step forward. I mean, they'd love to see any of their players step forward. But they imagine a, a very reasonable scenario where Abdullah is getting you know, 12 to 16 touches every week. I think that's something that they're going to give every opportunity for it to come to fruition. Yeah, and it's funny because the year before last, he had those great preseason games and everybody went bananas over him, which got ridiculous. What do you have that? Didn't he run a 70-yard play against the Jets and, and Todd Bowles said he looked like Barry Sanders or something. I don't know. It was something. And I think. Weird. Yeah, I think he scored the first. I want to say he scored the first week in San Diego, like on a delay or a draw or something, and he just made this jitter, totally jitterbugged a, a defensive back out of his cleats, and we're all like, "Whoa, yeah, <laughs> this guy's going somewhere." And then, unfortunately, he was hurt before the end of the month. But then, yeah, he went in round four at one point. By the end of August, it, it just got crazy. I remember, but oh well. All right. So yeah, this, I just say one more thing about yeah. running backs. Because of and you know I, I I'll admit it I mean I I went zero RB last year too I, it's funny because in previous years I was 
kind of holding out to the idea that, look, I'll take running backs early. You just get to be sold on the, on the running back you're taking. And um, you get such a, a nice slugging percentage hit. If you, if you nail that running back, I mean, I, if, if somebody, if we knew somebody who had the golden answer key at any position <laughs> say, look, I'll, I'll give you the final finishes at any position. You tell me like say the top 20, you tell me what position you want. I'd say, give me the running backs, please. Because there's the most volatility there. But because teams have changed the way they do things and everybody has two backs now, and some teams have three and Patriots, we talked about four, maybe it also brings more guys into play. And it also means that we expect our second running back and our flex. If our flex player is a running back, we don't expect, it used to be that those guys had to be, you could never start somebody who you weren't sure was going to get 12, 15, 18 touches. Now the, the bar we're trying to clear is a lot lower and I think there's something liberating about that, that, that you don't say if you wait, you, you just don't feel like you're always going to feel like there are some options because we're trying to, I feel like the window we're trying to go through is a lot wider. Yep. I agree. All right. Uh, everybody, we're going to thank Scott and all our friends at Yahoo Fantasy Football for sponsoring the Rotowire Fantasy Football podcast. With Yahoo Fantasy Football, there are endless ways to feel the wins each week. Have you heard the phrase feel the wins a lot this summer, Scott, working where you work? Feeling it right now, man. There you go. See? Whether it's a winning waiver claim, a winning piece of smack talk, or actually winning on the field, it's football at its funnest, best form, and where there's no such thing as excessive celebration. Yahoo Fantasy Football is free to play and easy to use on a desktop or on mobile with the Yahoo Fantasy Sports app. Sign up today at rotowire.com slash yahoo and download the Yahoo Fantasy Sports app, which has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association for three years in a row. The Yahoo Fantasy app Messenger allows for all the witty banter and smack talk that your league can muster. That app is just as extensive as the desktop experience, letting you draft, trade, and come waiver options right on your phone. It gives you in-depth player and matchup analysis to help you fine-tune your roster each and every week. Switch your league to Yahoo, where you can manage your league dues for free. Sign up today for Yahoo Fantasy Football. Rotowire.com slash Yahoo. That's Rotowire.com slash Yahoo. Yahoo Fantasy Football. Feel the wins. All right. You might have thought great, that was a... Great live read. Great live read there. And I just want yeah, to add one, more yeah. thing. one great thing. I don't understand that when it comes to designing the game, I, I may make a recommendation now and then, but I really have nothing to do with... Um, the engineers and the way the game looks and the way the game plays and all that. I mean, we, we have a team working on that. And and before I even worked at Yahoo, I, I thought Yahoo had the best game. But I, I, I just want people to know, if, if you're not familiar with Yahoo, that the game is so intuitive. It's I mean, you ever go to a website where you don't know where everything is, where you're trying to find something you know, and you know there's a link there, but you just can't figure it out. The way they've designed the game and the way they designed the app is so intuitive. It's one of those things that you, you get comfortable with it so quickly, mm-hmm. and that that to me is. And, and I, you know, I don't want to put any other sites down. There's some other sites that doing quality work and everything, and you know, people can play anytime they anywhere they want. But whenever I end up on a different site, and I know part of this is because I've been at Yahoo for a while, but I just think Yahoo's there's just an intuitive nature to the game. And I think if people who haven't tried Yahoo give it a shot, they're going to find that they're going to feel comfortable. They're going to feel like they know where they're going, how to maneuver it really quickly. I, I think that's a real underrated part of our game. And I hope people check that out. Uh, I agree with you. I think it's all, I think it's always been like that me too. Um, with you guys. And it's funny. Hey, no thanks to me. This is, I am not <laughs> patting myself on the back because I have nothing to do with any of that. How long have you worked for Yahoo? 2008. 2008. Because you see, my connection here is the guy who brought me to Fox Sports when I was there was a guy named Larry Tobin. Okay. And Larry Tobin used to, Larry Tobin and I used to work together at the National Hockey League at NHL.com. And Larry left in 19, I think, 99 
to go build the fantasy games at Yahoo. He was the producer for all the fantasy when, when Yahoo first built the fantasy sports games. Okay. So yeah, little trip down memory lane for me. I didn't know you had an NHL background. I do. And you know, the funny thing is I, I, I've gotten to a point in my life where hockey has just dropped out Yeah. that I don't watch it anymore. And it's bad. You know, it's funny because my son, my son's nine and he like whenever he sees a hockey game on, he's like, Oh, Hey hockey. I go, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I just can't, you know, it's one of those things, not enough time in the day. It's too bad. Cause it's a fun spot. Well, there's just so many sports out there. I mean, I, I, um, in the last few years, I've become a really big international soccer fan and it's just, it's hard to add on another sport. Yeah. You know? Um, especially, especially soccer, you know, I, I, at least I'm on the East coast where the game started a reasonable hour. I mean, I, I have friends who live on the West coast where they have to get up at four 30 in the morning to watch a weekend game, but it's hard, man. It's hard. I'm, I'm a big golf fan and I follow all the major sports and, um, you know, the, the, probably the biggest sport I don't follow. And I feel like I'm missing out on this is I don't really follow a lot of college football. I, I went to Providence where they don't have a football team. And, and I think college football looks like a lot of fun. But I think that if I followed college football in addition to pro football and baseball and all the other stuff I did, I just think that my head would explode because there's just you need you need some time to to actually do you know something else. I, I agree with you 100 percent. I wish I could follow all these things. It's one of those things. International soccer sounds fun. And then I go, all right. So, you know, my morning would be my free time. And now right. it's, that's gone. That, you know, that takes up the last part of my day. The only the only time I, I'll I'll watch sports in the morning now is for is British Open golf. And sure, that, that was pretty British Open too, man. Speed, man. It was awesome. That was real. It was just ridiculous what happened on that. I was rooting. For, I was rooting for Kucher, and uh, and after Spieth took three and a half weeks to play that one hole, I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I really hope Kucher wins. And then Spieth played like the best five holes I've ever seen anybody play, uh, and that's a pretty big statement because we just watched Tiger Woods, you know, having pr- pretty unbelievable, you know, 15 years or whatever it was. But man. Uh, if, if anybody hasn't seen the highlight package, just, you know, watch the last five holes he played where he was just knocking down pins and, and he was making every putt. And, and, you know, the British Open, it's not you know, golf originated in, in, you know, in Britain and Scotland. You know, they invented the game and it was over there. It's a lot more you know, about wind. It's a lot more about mounds and undulations. You know, American golf is a lot different and they're, they're both great. It's, it's kind of like. You know, pizza's great. I don't care if you like thick pizza or thin pizza or <laughs> East Coast pizza or Midwest pizza. I just, yes, give me the pizza, you know. Um, I'm, I'm a golf fan no matter what, but there's something about the challenges. Just every shot is different at the, at the British Open and the challenges that you're asked to do and, and the shots that you're asked to execute. And even though I wasn't rooting for Spieth, just because I thought it would be cool if Kucher won. It's not that I have anything against, against Spieth. He's I a agree. terrific player. Really, really good guy, too, it seems like. I'm mean, very understanding of the history of the game and, and very deferential to you know, just about everybody. I mean, I, I don't see how you couldn't like the guy, but man, what a show that was. It, it really was that little, what it was probably basically a one hour stretch there where it just, where Spieth just sort of, you know, came back from that horrendous tee shot and then just rolled for the next hour. It was, it was incredible. It's hard not to root for him. I get where you are rooting for Kuchar because I kind of was too. But Do you have a favorite golfer? Do I have a favorite guy? It's not, I got to tell you, I am, as much as I like Spieth, I'm team Rory. Okay. I, I love Rory and I keep, you know, and I keep hoping he's going to bounce back. And that's, that's a little harsh. I mean, the guy's what, was he 27, 28? He's won four majors. Right, right. But I love, I love watching Rory. And, and I, and I, I kind of hope that, that he and Spieth sort of get to duel a little bit. 
because that I think would be a lot of fun. fun. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. You know, I, I think when Rory was really on top of his game a couple of years ago, and again, you know, I'm not writing the guy off. He's still in his 20s. He's already got a, you know, a trophy case that you know from from here to uh, you know, the next town over. But when he was really, really had it going, he has this this sort of confident way he walks. Some some guys in golf have a certain walk. Yeah, like Fred Couples would just walk like nothing was bothering him, and he was just the coolest guy. You know, in in the on the course or the coolest guy on tour, and I always loved that Fred Couples fairway gate. And Rory has this, just this confident. It, it, part of it's like a puppy, and part of it's like you know, I'm in so, I'm in better shape than you. I'm going to hit the ball harder, further than you. You know, I, I, I'm confident. I there's just something uh, really appealing about that. My favorite golfer, and, and this is kind of a hard guy to root for sometimes because I feel like he's so close to greatness, but it hasn't happened yet to the level that maybe it could is I'm a Ricky Fowler guy. Uh, yeah. No, no majors yet. Uh, in fact, he congratulated Spieth right after Spieth won. Uh, Spieth's coming off the green and, you know, he has to go sign his card. He's getting, you know, back padded by everybody. And Fowler gave him like, like a pat on the back and Spieth didn't really recognize him. And, uh, you know, he was in, in a hurry to get his card signed. He didn't really acknowledge Ricky. It surely wasn't intentional. But I kind of thought, yeah, that's, that's a little ironic symbolism of where <laughs> Fowler and Spieth are right now, where, you know, Spieth's on the way to sign for his third major and, and Fowler hasn't gotten over the hump yet. But uh, but anyway, I'm sure people are tuning in for this for our for my golf takes. But um, you know, the other thing about golf I'll say is that if, if people are if if people are right now are laughing and saying, oh, why would I watch golf? Two, th- two things about golf. One. If you want to fall asleep on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, <laughs> you just sit on the couch. All right. Put the golf on. And it is like the a lullaby. Okay. It was like, you know, it was like that waterfall that, that people would have, you know, to, to relieve stress. Golf is just so relaxing and, and the voices and the, the tones and all that. And the other thing I love about golf is that there's something about the naked emotion of golf that you, you see the play, the players' expressions are written. It's written all over their face. And when they screw up, especially in a big tournament, and, you know, some people just follow the big tournaments. I have no problem with that. I think this is a Ryder Cup season, so uh, or maybe it's next year. But anyway, yeah, you know, you know, when they play in the big events and things go south for somebody, it's written all over their face, and there's nowhere to hide, right. and there's nowhere else, nobody else to blame. Although if you're Bubba Watson, I guess you'd blame the caddy, but I mean, sometimes they blame the wind or the green or whatever. But the point is, it's you know, they're not wearing a helmet. They're not so far away that you can't make them out you know obviously we all have these great hd televisions now and everything there's just something about the naked emotional theater of golf that i find very appealing and, and i'm gonna add one but do you play golf by the way not, not particularly well but yes. yeah i'm the same way i don't play enough right now but but the other thing that i do like about it and that you know i don't force my kids to sit and watch it. my son likes to play my kids are 13 and 9 my daughter's 13 and she used to play with me a little bit and she doesn't but he likes to play with me and and I kind of like that golf is a self-policing sport. That if there's something wrong, like basically compared to other sports, which I love, you know, just about all of them, in, in baseball or football, you are trying to get away with things that the ref doesn't see. And in golf, you know, it, it's, it, is a, it is a bad look, bad form to try to get away with anything. You do something, you, just, you raise your hand, you say, hey, I did it. I did this wrong. Remember, remember when Jeff Maggart hit the ball, hit himself with the ball in the Masters about right. ten years ago. He was trying to hit it out of a bunker, and it bounced off and hit him on the chest. Everybody didn't see it and right away. Put his hand up, and then, hey, I, I got to take a penalty here. I think that's a, I, I think it's a good teaching thing for you know to put on my dad hat here. 
So I agree. I, I do wish that the golf rules wouldn't be as opaque as they are sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Where even the guys who play golf don't know what the rule is. But um, no, that is a really cool thing. Uh, there, there's a there's an honor to golf. There's a just a code to golf. There's every there's a importance. If if you enter that, if you become a professional golfer, it's just an understanding that you're going to have a sense of you know who Byron Nelson was, who Arnold Palmer was. I mean, you know, they had this big thing with Arnold Palmer uh, recognizing him when they were giving Spieth this trophy. You know, Palmer died within the last year and stuff. I mean, that's a sport that goes out of its way to make sure you know the history. I just like remember the Super Bowl a couple of years ago where they brought every MVP out. I don't know, it was yes. last year. I mean, that's just cool, man. Yeah. And and you know, and, you know, maybe your son says to you, "Oh, who was Terry Bradshaw, or who was, um, you know, whoever it was, you know, who was Roger Staubach, or you know, who who was, uh, you know, who were these guys on the Bear? Who was Richard Dent? You know, I mean, it's just cool. It's just cool to see that stuff. It is cool. And as a quick aside, um, my son's actually the type who will come downstairs and go, "Hey, I just watched the Football Life on Charles Haley. Wow!" And so he's a little he's a little crazy with that stuff. But God, anyway. you know what man, you're doing a great. You're <laughs> you're freaking father of the year if if your father if your son is watching the Charles Haley documentary. He and, is. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is, really. Your daughter wants to play golf with you, and your son yeah. wants to wants to watch documentaries. God love it. You, the Halpins are are doing all right. And she's checking her every every night. She's she's got. She's got uh, the Yankees up on her iPad, so yeah. I'm do- I, in that sense, I'm doing okay. So nice. whether you like the Yankees or not is another story, but that's for. Girl, I grew up in Boston, so yeah. So no. <laughs> All right, um, where are we? We're at an hour. All right, we're not going to go too much longer here, Scott. I want to keep you all day. As fun that's as this fault. is, I, I, I can't stay on on script here. But <laughs> um, fun, all in good fun. Alshon Jeffrey, wide receivers yeah. now. You're out. Yep. Uh, well. Lower tissue issues, um, the lower tissue injuries, which make me nervous and not particularly good in the red zone. I mean, that's the type of thing that, you know, it, it can be more of a descriptive stat than a predictive stat. I mean, who's to say that maybe him and Wentz may, may not click, but I don't know. He's a guy, we, we talked about players earlier who you think they had a poor enough season for whether it's performance or whether it's injury related that you would think, well, shouldn't there be a discount? And I see where Jeffrey's going. I'm like, where's the discount? And is he going to a quarterback that's a kingmaker? Again, a Mike Salfino reference. He talks about try not to spend high picks on any player who's tied to a quarterback you don't feel good about. Yep. And then maybe there aren't that many guys who come into that heading. I, to me, once is one of those guys. I, I, why get invested in an offense? That's why I'm out on Kenny Britt this year. I don't know that they're going to have quality quarterback play in Cleveland. And, you know, I'd rather have say a Willie Sneed who I know is tied to, to Drew Brees. Maybe he doesn't have the upside that, that Britt has or Jeffrey in this case, although, you know, Sneed will go later than Jeffrey. I'm not saying they're completely apples to apples, but I don't want to get tied to a quarterback. I don't trust. I want to get tied to an offense. I don't trust. Sometimes I get a little bit nervous about receivers changing teams. Jeffrey's had a lot of these uh, soft tissue injuries the last couple of years. I think that's something that will be a continual problem. And if he's not scoring long touchdowns, I think he's going to have trouble scoring touchdowns, period. I, he is such an easy fade for me that I'm not, again, I'm not even considering it. It's one thing you don't draft a guy or you think, oh, you like him more than I do a little bit. I, I'm not even seeing him on my board because when he goes, I'm, I'm never considering him. Okay. Um, I, I think I'm not as low as you, but I think he's a guy I won't own. Let's put it that way. Um, I want to talk about, a guy, it's funny, I look at these rankings, and yours, mine, and everybody's, and, and I see guys everywhere you look, and 
I see Sammy Watkins name and, you know, there's a lot of different takes on Sammy Watkins and, you know, what's the, the risk worth and all that. And Terrell Pryor, boys, he a number one receiver in Washington. And I just feel like there's all these guys that I feel like I hear a lot of chatter about, whether it's a normal amount or an above average amount. No one talks about Emmanuel Sanders. Hmm. He's become boring. He's this really game breaker, fast guy. And he's boring. And ranking wise, he's not terrible. I mean, people have him at the probably low end wide receiver two, 23, 24, whatever. You have him a little higher than other people. You have him at wide receiver 18. Does it matter who the quarterback is for you? Well, I mean, I talked about it earlier with Wentz and with that Salfino principle. So I don't want to totally discount that. But what I like about Sanders is he's been able to be productive. He's shown that he can produce with mediocre quarterback play. And the thing with Denver with Thomas and with Sanders, the secret weapon they've always had, is, and there's different ways to describe this. I've always called it a skinny usage tree. Okay, The distribution of targets is not wide in Denver. This is not a team that's looking to throw it to the third tight end and looking to throw <laughs> it to the fullback, and, and they have three or four running backs who catch the ball. I mean, yeah, you know, Anderson will catch a few passes, and you know, they'll throw a couple passes at the tight end. But generally, this and I know the coaching staff just changed. So I mean, you know, obviously they, they could always change things at any point. But the, the thing I've always loved about Sanders is that he's screened a little bit by Thomas because Thomas is considered fairly, you know, he's the number one there, and, and Sanders is the two. But it's never been an offense that's thrown a lot to the backs, to the tight ends. Or they they haven't had a, a third receiver step forward. And, you know, who's to say that maybe somebody won't? But. And I love boring veterans who have proven it, who have a resume that we can bank on. But there's nothing exciting about Sanders. Nobody, when you take Sanders, nobody's gonna like you know flip out right. and say, "Oh man, yeah, that was my guy." You know, I, <laughs> I I came to this draft to take Emmanuel Sanders. Nobody feels that way. And I love those guys. I used to call them. And I guess this is becoming a dated reference. I used to call them in baseball. The Raul Abanez All Stars. Yes, a baseball player I've heard who, you use that term before. Yeah, yes, very mediocre in his twenties, and then he got it going in his thirties. And a lot of people thought, "Oh, well, nice season at thirty-two. That's not going to happen again." And then he did it for like five or six years in a row, and nobody was ever excited to, to take Emmanuel Sanders. And I bet uh, Raul Abanez, or in this case Sanders, I think Michael Crabtree has a little bit of that. I think Jarvis Landry has a little bit of that. Just just guys that. You're taking the more uh, Golden Tate is a little bit like that. These are floor players, right? Nobody's taking Golden Tate and thinking he's going to get 1,400 yards or or 13 touchdowns. I mean, nobody thinks Sanders is going to be the best receiver in Denver. Even with Crabtree, there's always the idea that Cooper really should be the guy. Even though Cooper never catches touchdowns, he's like the almost touchdown king of the world. (laughs) And I hate saying this because I love Amari Cooper, and I I think one year he could easily be the number one or number two receiver. He's that talented. I I, I mean, people love Cooper. I'm I'm not breaking anything new. But it's interesting how Crabtree never goes ahead of him, and, and I mean, it's not even close. It's three or four rounds of separation because we feel like Cooper should be the dominant guy. It doesn't matter that Crabtree has been the guy scoring the touchdowns. Right. And you know, Crabtree has his own issues too. He's, he's bounced around a little bit. He's had some injury issues, but maybe he's, uh, maybe he's a better boundary player right now than Cooper. I mean, maybe we have to give him credit for that. And then in the case of Sanders, I love boring veteran picks. I don't mind. I mean, and, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, to win your league, you get to hit a home run. You get, you get a, you can't play safe, you know, second place gets nothing. And, I get all that. There's time to make upside picks and I'm, I'm going to make some upside picks too. I'm going to, you know, maybe Gillisley is one of my upside picks. You know, I mean, he could totally fall on his face. They have other options there, but 
not all your picks have to be upside. Right. Sometimes, sometimes just getting on base is, is enough or getting a four pick again. You know, I think golden Tate is, is a great example of that. Catch, catch me 90 balls, score five to seven touchdowns. I'm happy. You know, I guess he might score four. Maybe things really went well. Maybe he'd get eight, but I know what I'm getting with, with a guy like that. I think I know what I'm getting with a guy like Sanders. Again, nothing exciting. I'm not, but I'm not trying to market the team. You know, I don't need to sell the tickets. I don't need to get people excited about my fantasy team. I just want the numbers. And I think because he's a boring veteran at this stage, I think maybe you get a half round to a round discount. Okay. I want to go a little uh, higher on the food chain ranking wise. Brandon Cooks. I think you and your colleagues are all kind of high on Brandon Cooks. And I think most of us are. But I, I actually have him at 17, so I'm a little lower. Okay. But you look there and you say, we talked about the running backs some of whom catch passes. I mean, certainly what, whatever combination of White, Lewis, and Burkhead play, whatever amount of downs they play, they're going to catch some balls. You got Gronk and you got Edelman. Um, it is Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is a nice player, and he's in a great situation. A lot of mouths to feed there. Are there, are there enough? Is there enough to go around on the Patriots for them all to be productive enough? I guess I'm less likely to worry about mouths to feed when I feel like they're splitting up a really big pie. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're getting the large, you know, the, the 20 inch pizza or whatever, you know, everybody else getting the 12 inch, 14 inch. And then they're Tom Brady targets. Right. I mean, sometimes this is, this is maybe not a direct comparison, but I'm a huge, I've been for a few years, I've been a huge Doug Baldwin fan. And sometimes people say, well, he's only going to get 110 targets or, you know, he's not going to, they're not going to force him the ball. And I'll counter with, yeah, but every one of his targets is from Russell Wilson, you know, right. which makes them more valuable. And and in the case of, of Cooks, I mean, you're right. You know, Edelman, terrific player, Gronkowski, you know, c- could be on the way to being the best tight end in history and, and already on the very short list um, and a touchdown dominant guy when he's healthy. But, you know, Gronkowski, we, I don't think you can project him for a full season. Edelman's missed time the last few years. The Patriots made, uh, you know, they, they gave up capital to get Cook. He basically was their first round pick. Yep. And this is a team, by the way, who hasn't taken a first-round receiver since nineteen, I think, ninety-five, when they took Terry Glenn. So, you know, I know they they went out and got Moss, and it was kind of the same situation. I'm not comparing Cooks to Moss because you know, Moss shouldn't be compared to anybody, but he, he's going to be. It's the point is, yes, a lot of mouths to feed, yes, a lot of competition for the ball, but I don't think Gronkowski and Edelman play full seasons. I think Cooks will lead the team in targets, and even if there are a lot of people getting their, you know, getting their fork into this pie, it's still a Patriots pie that's, that's going to have, I think, thirty-five to forty passing touchdowns. Okay, that's fair. Um, real quick, who's your who's your late round? Give me one wide receiver at the, the end game that you'd like to grab. Uh, in the thirties, I like Adam Thielen. Um, I'm not sure when Tyrell Williams is going, but I think he's really interesting. One of the Seattle receivers I could see breaking through Tyler Lockett, everybody loved last year. Now you can get him outside the top 50. And yeah. if you just need a home run, watch what Paul Richardson did in the playoffs last year. The guy, I don't know why curse is still a factor on this team, but I, I think Richardson, he was a second round pick. So, I mean, they, they, they think really highly of him. I, I think at some point he's going to get on the field and they're going to realize this guy has to play. All right, everybody, Odd and New Fantasy Football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like an NFL GM. It's better fantasy football, auction-based, deep rosters, and college players in the player pool. You can stash college prospects for the future, trade for superstars to make a championship push, develop a team over multiple seasons, and play against the best fantasy football competition on the internet. Odd and New Fantasy Football, that's O-T-T-O-N-E-U, oddandnewfootball.com. All right, a couple of tight end questions. 
where, where would you feel comfortable drafting Grunk in a, yeah, I mean, 12-team, let's say, PPR league with your, you know, five-man bench and a typical starting roster? I won't consider him in the second round. Okay, I, then you're out. If I, so I'm probably out. I, I, I think some people will maybe see him in the early third round. And then even then I'd have to talk myself into him. I, I just don't, I'm so risk averse. And look, some people say, look, it's football. Anybody can get hurt. And I get that. I I just don't think that the injury risk is the same for everybody. And in the case of Gronkowski, he's had too much, too much attrition here. I I feel like he's going to play 12 or 13 games and he could easily play seven or eight. Okay. Uh, I'm with you. And second, I, I, he's, I'm risk averse. That early in the draft, I'm risk averse. And I'm not ashamed to say that at all. You, you know what else too is I just feel like I can get, I can find a tight end. I like at almost, I mean, at almost every price point. Right. So, okay. Um, Austin Hooper, you've got Austin Hooper at 14th at tight end. I saw you, you got, you all did a sleeper article and he, he was your pick. Um, caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl. What did he have? Six targets, three catches. Uh, they, you know, they drafted him to produce. And last year, there was a little. Uh, there were some bumps in the road, injury-wise. I think um, a, a, you, you're probably going to own a bunch of Austin Hooper. I would guess. Yeah, I'm already on, on, yeah, on the path to that. The thing is, with rookies and tight, well, everybody knows that rookies and tight ends are, are generally just not good bets. It's, it's a complicated position. You know, blocking is a big part of what they do. All I want to see from rookie tight end is just get you know, get around the block, figure out the game a little bit, make a couple of splash plays. We average over 14 yards a catch. And this thing is a little bit nebulous, what I'm going to mention, because I know there are so many puff pieces and sunshiny pieces that come out in the spring. You know, The football writers have to write about something. It, it's natural for teams to be optimistic about things. But Matt Ryan's gone out of his way to say that Austin Hooper is, right. is working his ass off and looks great. And I don't know. I'm buying into it. You, you can call me. You can call me naive if you want. But I, I think this. Is, I think Hooper is going to have a spike. I don't know if it's this year. I don't know if it's year three. But I like the pedigree. I, again, all I want to see rookie year is that the ability to make some big splash plays. And I think we saw that. And, and now he's going to have. You know, they've moved out some other tight ends. I mean, he's going to have. I think more snaps, more snap share, maybe more work in the red zone. I, I just think everything's pointing up on Hooper, and I feel very confident. There's going to be a year you're going to be thrilled that you owned Hooper. I'm not sure if it's this year. Maybe it's a it's a year three breakout, but I feel very confident it's coming, and I'm going to take a stab that it happens in 2017. Yeah, I think I'd like to take that stab too at this point. All right, everybody, listeners to this podcast and get a free 10-day RotoWire trial at rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card required. That lets you check out nearly all the features on the site. Check it out, rotowire.com slash pod. All right, Scott, first of all, thank you so much for doing this. Um, uh, my pleasure, fun. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait to do it again. Um, what are you going to be working on near future? You look like you're making some transition from uh, all baseball to a straddle between baseball and football. Yeah, uh, you know, we're doing our sleepers and busts article that uh, I, I think we articles, I should say, that I think we alluded to in this pod. So check those out. Um, all the Yahoo crew, all, all your favorite Yahoo guys. And we're all picking different people, too, by the way. We don't allow uh, ourselves to pick the same people. So you, sometimes you get frustrated, like, oh, everybody likes Jack Doyle. You know, well, only one person's allowed to like Jack Doyle. That's the way the rules are. Uh, in the case of me, I went with Hooper. But so a lot of sleeper and bust stuff. I will be doing a lot of strategy pieces. Um, I, th- I think one of the, I always think of the three prongs of fantasy. I think you have your scouting and your observations, and then you have your, your data and your, your models and, and your metrics and all that. 
And then I think the third thing is the game theory and the strategy and how we play and, you know, what what is an auction strategy like or what, what should your fab strategy be or should your strategy be different in September than it is in November? What, I, I think handcuffing is a really, really overrated strategy in the summer, but I like it a lot in November. I mean, you talk about things like that. So that's one of my favorite things to write about is the theory of it, the idea that you know, we could just give you the guy to pick up, but let's teach you how we play and how we identify the next guy to pick up so you can maybe incorporate that into your next fantasy decision. Cause at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, how do we make decisions? What are our cognitive biases, all those types of things. And uh, to me, that's the, the most exciting and, and fun part of the fantasy journey. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Everybody, um, you can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. As far as those uh, strategy pieces he talked about, whether it's reading Scott stuff, following on Twitter, listening to anything, uh, the best compliment I could give is he always makes me smarter. And I really appreciate you doing this today with me. So thanks a lot. Uh, that's, that's a really big compliment. Uh, you know, uh, right back at you, John. Um, the long admirer of your work. And uh, I'll be listening to this podcast every day you do it. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, if you did, if you like this podcast uh, uh, as much as Scott and I did, please leave us a review and a rating. We really appreciate it. That's it for this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Football. Our next episode is going to be coming on Wednesday, so please check back then for more great fantasy football information. For Scott Pianowski, I'm John Halpin. Thank you for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.